Um, if you have your Bibles, open them to Exodus chapter 6 is where we're going to start tonight. Once you get there, raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. It's like in, in class. Do we have any mic runners tonight? I know we got some. So, okay. Hey, before we jump in, um, let me just ask you guys a few questions. And, you know, just raise your hand and just give us a minute for the mic runners to find you. Um, as you know or may not know, uh, we're starting a new series called The Ten Commandments. And so, we're going to kind of unwrap a bunch of things today to kind of launch us into that series. But before I do that, I just want to get some feedback on you uh, on, on what your take on the Ten Commandments are and, um, and, and, and ask it maybe a, a few questions. Um, so when I say Ten Commandments, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Go, go ahead and just raise your hand or... If you, uh, or I'll pick you out. All right, right here in the front. Charlton Heston, Heston, yes. I was going to come with my shirt off, but I'm not Charlton Heston, so I want to scare people. First thing I think about is thou shall not kill. Thou shall not kill. What else? What are some of the, the things that that brings up right here? I believe that the Ten Commandments was given, even though we're not um, under the law, so to speak, it's a way to guide us in our daily life as to kind of staying on that path where we need to be. Okay, good. Good. We got one in the back here, right behind you, Adam. Make that guy run. He loves to run. Um, I just think about how we're always going to have at least one of them that we can't keep, and so it's meant <laughs> at least one. I mean, at least one? So, I don't. <laughs> but it's there to show us that we're not perfect, and we can't do all that God is asking of us, and that's why we need Jesus. So, so you're saying you broke the Ten Commandments, or some of them? At least get, one. Man, we got some sinners in this room tonight. You know what? We're going to do a salvation message. That's what we're doing. What are some others? So what do you think of? What, what, what comes to mind? You're seeing them before me. Oh, right there. Yes. A structure of living. Um, okay. Just guiding a, yeah, structure of living. So kind of like a blueprint. Good, good. What else? I'm pushing First thing that comes to my mind is like a rule book. Like a basic do's and don'ts type book thing? Book of rules. Good, okay. How many of you see the Ten Commandments or do you think people see the Ten Commandments as a book of rules or a set of rules and regulations? Okay, good. Because it says thou shalt not, so it probably is. Any others? All right, so it's interesting because 
as I um, as I've been studying through Scripture, um, I, I let me put it this way. I think what I'm going to share tonight might challenge some of you a bit, and you may even push back, and I, that's fine. I think that's great, and I may be totally wrong. Um, but I'm going to look at the Ten Commandments maybe in a little bit of a different light, and I'm going to ask that, that you uh, come on that journey with me and, and maybe take a viewpoint that, that might be a little bit different when we step into why would God give us these top ten were they just rules, like a rule book to say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, to keep us from something? Or are they a guidebook for life? Like if we do these things, we do well and, and everything will be good for us. Or was it something even more than that? So that's what I hope you get out of, uh, out of tonight and this whole series as we jump through it. Um, because... I believe our God is an extremely relational God, and I believe uh, that when we read through the Ten Commandments that he was setting up the children of Israel for something very specific that bleeds into us as well, uh, and so I hope you see that as well as we kind of go through this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of look back before the Ten Commandments, and then it'll bring us to the First Commandment. Does that make sense? So, so we're going to kind of take a look back to, to how we got to this place in Scripture, and then kind of unwrap that and unpack that and look at that. And just remember, at any time, if you have a question or you're thinking, man, Bill, you're crazy, or uh, you have a comment, don't, you can raise your hand. Just make sure that, that we're able to see you when you do that, because I want to make sure to get uh, to your questions as we go through those. Um, so let's do that. So, so, so let's jump into this. At this point in Scripture, the Israelites have been in slavery. Does anybody know for how long? You know, we don't need a mic for this. Just yell it out if you know. How long were they in slavery for? Yeah, 400, 430 years. Um, 430 years, meaning that every generation... Every person that was living at that time, all they knew was slavery. There was no generation that wasn't in slavery at that age because it had been that long. So all of them, all they knew was, this is how we lived as slaves. That's crazy if you think about it. Now, living as a slave uh, for 430 years under uh, Egyptian rule was extremely difficult because all you did all day was make brick. For 430 years. By the time you could walk, you started making brick. By the time you were 80 or 90, when you made your last brick, that was the end of you because you couldn't make brick anymore. And if you can't produce, then you're not useful. Does this make sense? So you live in this world where your whole, all your life is about is producing brick, and that's what gives you life and sustenance, and that's all that you know. And you're under Egyptian rule, which means at any time, an Egyptian can come in and take your wife if he wants to. He can rape your wife. He can rape you. I mean, we, have, we know all of these things have happened. Um, and you couldn't do anything about it. We know whatever you owned, they could own. They could just take from you. No wonder the Israelites were screaming out to God for help. And so here they are under living 
under this pressure, right, living as, uh, as slaves in this world, and all of a sudden, God begins to respond to their cries, to their pleas, okay? So that's kind of where we're picking it up. And I don't want to miss that because I think it's so important because what God has to do, right, is teach them how to be human again, because they're not living really as humans, they're living as slaves, they're living under someone else's rule, trying to survive, trying to do 365 days a year, 12, 13, 14 hours a day, seven days a week, making brick over and over and over. There's no vacation, there's no sick time, there's no, you make brick, that's why you exist. That is your only reason for living. And here's the, the children, the people of God, living in this for 400 years. So I'm going to pick up in Exodus chapter 6. And what I'm going to do, I'm take, again, I'm going to take you on a journey and lead you up to the Ten Commandments. So listen to what it says. It says this in um, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. It says this. He says, therefore, say to the children of Israel, so Moses is coming in and saying, hey, I want you to say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, right? So finally, I'm going to do something about this. And he says, um, I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. So God's making a huge promise, and he's saying it's, it's the time's coming, the time's coming where uh, it's, it's going to be time for you to not be a slave anymore. And then in verse 7, he says something interesting. He says this, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then he goes on, he says, Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give Abraham, Abraham Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So, if we... Okay, in the Old Testament, in the Torah specifically, which is the first five books, and actually in any of the Hebrew uh, scriptures, language is extremely important. I think we talked about this before, months ago when I taught. Every single word was important. The, our language today doesn't compare with Hebrew. There, there was a lot of word pictures and depth and beauty. So when you heard a certain word, it would bring about certain things or certain feelings. Or it would bring about a, a, a specific illustration of life around you. So when we translate it into English, sometimes we miss the power of those words, okay? And so what's happening is God saying, does anybody mind if I take my shoes off? I, know, I hope I don't offend anyone. <laughs> I got really sweaty feet right now. So... Hey, you know what it says? The holy ground, take your shoes off. So um, this is holy ground. Email Frankie Broom at Cornerstone Online if you have a complaint. Um, all right. So, <laughs> so, so you have this, this picture, and God is telling his people, he's saying, I've heard your cries, basically, and I'm going to save you. And he says this specific word, which when we read it, it just sounds like, okay. And he says this, I will take you as my people. Now, here's the cool thing. When he said that, the people would have immediately went, oh. Because when it says, I will take you as my people, the word I, I will take is a word called lakah. Now, I want you all to repeat it with me, okay? We're going to say it 
Uh, I'm probably doing the Hebrew no well, no good. So, but I'm just going to say it, and we're going to say it together. Say laka, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Laka. Oh, you guys are horrible. Sorry. Let's try it again, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Laka. Okay, that might not even be the right pronunciation, but I'm pretty sure it is. So, what laka means is when a groom. I wouldn't even say a groom. I would say someone who's courting someone looks at a bride and says, I'm going to make you mine. I'm going to take you. How many of you are married in here? Raise your hand. Okay. Cool. How many of you are not married or you're looking to get married? Okay. Okay. So, so there's that moment in time, remember, when guys, when you saw your bride and you went, oh, yeah, she's mine, and I'm going to take her. And I, she, like, I, I'm, this, this is her. I'm going to, you know what? Beyond anything, she, I'm, I remember my, man, when I courted my wife, I remember the moment, the conversation we had, and I remember because we had broken up a couple of times, the moment we were sitting together and we were praying through some things and, and she was praying about her future, I was praying about my future, and I knew at that moment in time, I looked at her and I said, I didn't say to her, I said to God, I said, that's the one. She is the one. I know she is the one. I want her. I'm going to take her. That's the same word that God uses for his people here. So they would have immediately thought, wait, God is courting us. Okay, I want you to catch this. It's very relational. Like we would say, if you want to talk about wedding language, we would say something like, hey, we, you know, when you go to a wedding, the, you, you give away the bride, right? I mean, do you really give away the bride? No, it's, it's a term of that, that you, we know that the, the, the father of the bride gives away the bride. Laka would be like, I'm taking you. I'm, you. You are important to me. Something big is going to happen. Basically, he's saying, I'm going to marry you. Now, for some of us, that may creep us out a little bit. Like, God's going to marry these people? Like, what? Okay, now you got to think of where he's going with this. There's a bigger picture happening here. He's trying to show his people something very, very important. So he says, Laka, that's the first step in courting or in marriage in Jewish tradition where, 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 the, where the groom or, or, or the, the man courting the woman says this thing, and God does it for his people. So he says, hey, you know what, I'm going to take you as my people. I'm going to take you as my people. Kind of cool. So move over, scoot, scoot to Exodus chapter 19, all the way over to the right. So they're still in bondage. They get released from bondage. You know, Moses saves them. They start going through uh, all the craziness and, you know, uh, what's that song? I will sing unto the Lord for he, do you remember that song? Oh, nobody remembers that song. The horse and rider fell into the sea. Yeehaw. Okay, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Um, I used to sing that to my kids all the time. They still sit on my lap and I sing it to them. But they're 16, so it's kind of weird. Um, so you have this whole picture of God then saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you mine. And then they, they're freed, right? The plagues come. Um, um, Moses is there, Moses saves them, they, you know, all that stuff happens, there's a lot that goes on. Well, then we pick it up in 19, so then they're at Mount Sinai, and God begins this conversation again. 
He picks up on it. And why do we know that? Because it's specific language again. Remember how he talked about there's specific language that happens. And when that language comes up, we know he's talking specifically wedding language. And so it, it happens again. He begins to talk again. God begins to talk to his people. And this is what he says. So in, in, um, in Exodus 19, look at verse 3. He says this. So, and Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Okay, so, so basically God said, Hey, I mean, don't you know that I love you? Didn't you see what I did? That whole idea of boring uh, you on eagles' wings, that's what they used to do with the little eaglets, right? The eagles would take them and they would fly and they would drop the little eagles and they would try and fly and they'd go and pick them up if they couldn't fly or they hit the ground and then that's how they taught them how to fly. And he's saying, that was me as you were going through the desert, as you were you know, going through the Red Sea, as, as, as Pharaoh was trying to get you. Here I was walking with you, okay? And then he goes on and he says this, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, this is cool, he says this, then you shall be a special treasure to me. Isn't that cool? He says, hey, if you guys are going to listen to me, if you guys, if, if we're going to do this thing, I, I, I rescued you, and, and, and now I'm, I'm about to share some things with you, and if you do that, I you're going to be a special treasure to me. You're going to be a special. What he's doing is he's setting them up for a marriage ceremony. When this word special treasure, it's a very, again, specific Hebrew word that's part of the wedding ceremony, and it's part of the process, and it's called segula. I think that's a cool word. Okay, so we're going to say it together, okay? This time better than laka. We'll say segula a little better. Okay, so at three, ready? We're going to say it on three. Ready? One, two, three. Segula. Okay, and that means special treasure. For those of you who are married, look at your spouse right now and say, you're my segula, baby. Come on, I want to hear it. And if you're single, look around and say, who could be my segula in this room? And then you're probably going, nope, no one. <laughs> Not here. I'm just kidding. Um, so, so, again, it's this wedding language. So he says... He says, now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a special, you shall be my segula above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Man. So he's saying, man, you guys, like, like I'm, I'm setting you apart. I'm setting you apart because I love you, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm hoping that you see that you are no longer slaves you're no longer under Egyptian rule, that you are free people, and you are my special treasure. You are my special treasure. So this is, the, this is kind of the, the, the place when a groom, a groom reminds his wife that he could have, he could have went after anyone, but he went after you. He went after her. That, that's that, that moment in time when, you know, in that whole engagement process when you, when you say, you know what, like, you actually ask and say, you, you're my special treasure, like, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. You're it. 
because you're so important to me. Because there's nothing, I don't think there's anything better, right? There's nothing better than being with someone who loves you like that. With being with someone who sees you as a special treasure. And I would say at the opposite end of that, there's nothing worse than being in a relationship where you're not a special treasure to that person. And God's saying to his people, you know what? We're going to do this and there's something incredible coming and I want you to know that, that I've chosen you for a specific purpose. You are my special treasure. You are my segula. And so when they would have heard that, it would have blown their minds and saying, wait a minute, you're saying that we as your, you know, and, and probably at the time as we know how the, the Israelites responded, they were a little freaked out. They didn't quite get a lot of what God was doing here. And, 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 and the depth of, of what was happening in history at that moment in time, like sometimes we don't see even today the depth of what God's doing in our life, they missed a lot of it. But God still moved forward and pushed and said, I want to be with you. I want you to be my special treasure. I want you to know how important you are to me. And I think that's awesome. I think that's incredible. And so if we, if we miss this picture Okay, so if we miss this picture of a, of a wedding, if we miss that, 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 that what we're coming up to here is, is this process of God courting his people to marry them in a sense, making this commitment to them, we miss at the core what the Ten Commandments are really about, which we'll get to in a minute. We will miss at the core why, possibly why, God implemented them and why he shared them the way that he did, which I think is awesome. So, so you have this, this whole picture. So, so, so he says, hey, you're going to be my special people. You're, you're going to be my special treasure. Okay, now, it doesn't end there. Listen to what happens next. So, so scoot down to verse 10 with me and look at what it says. So then the Lord said to Moses, so now we're looking at 19 verse 10. So then the Lord said to Moses, he said, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Now let me ask you guys this question. What does that word consecrate mean? Does anybody know? Because I don't, I'm asking. Maybe your Bible has something. To, I'm kidding, I know. I'm saying, what does consecrate mean? Okay, blessing with oil. Wait, what did you say? Cleanse. Okay, good, good. Somebody said something over here? To set apart. Great, yes. To cleanse and to set apart. Anointing with oil does cleanse something and set it apart. So, but the actual consecration means I'm setting something apart for, and it's not just setting apart, but it's set apart for a purpose. So when we hear the word holy, like God is holy, God, is, God consecrates us, that word holy is also set apart for a purpose. It, it, it means more than, than just, you know, different. It means different with a purpose in mind. So what he's saying to his people, right, what he's saying is, hey, I'm setting you apart. I want you to be consecrated for, for a purpose, for a reason. Why? Why? Because God has set apart every single person in this room for a reason and a purpose. You were created for a reason and a purpose that God has a plan for your life, right? He's He's consecrated us, okay? And so here we see this picture 
And this is what's happening in verse 8. It says, so then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Now, how did they consecrate people? Well, they would do what was called a mikvah. And a mikvah was basically like a rudimentary baptism, if you want to go back. It's not quite baptism, but it was very similar. And what it is is this idea that they would sit in some running and flowing water, and they would be dunked under the water, and it was this idea of being cleansed. Now, this was very huge in Jewish culture. So in certain times, you would go and get cleansed in a mikvah. When you would do that was, the, one of the main times is right before you get married, three days before. You would go and consecrate yourself to prepare for your wedding ceremony. Okay? Now, there was other times that, that you would go and, and have a ritual mikvah as well. Um, different times in your life, uh, certain ages, like if you turn 40 or 50 or 60, sometimes they would do it then. But the main was saying, hey, there's this important time of your life, and especially that wedding ceremony. So the father would bring his daughter to be cleansed, to be put in the water, and this water, this, this flowing water, there's nothing magical about the flowing water, but it was an illustration that God God was cleansing them. God was, was doing a new work. And here's the idea. Here's the picture. I hope you catch it. Is that our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God of, of renewal. Our God is a God that says, you know, um, there's all, I will always forgive. And so that mikvah is, is an illustration, almost like baptism, of, of, of it being washed away. So, so at this point, you're being set apart for something more. Something, something amazing that God is about to do. And he calls his people to do that. He says, I want you to go. I want you to be consecrated. I want you to, to get your clothes wet, to get you wet, to get under that, to take this, uh, this basic bath. And so it's a symbolic of, of kind of this rebirth that's happening. Now, why would God do this to his people? Because he's preparing them for something. He's moving them towards something. And, and he's setting them up. And so they would understand as they're, uh, as they're experiencing this with Moses, they would be going, man, well, this is crazy. So, so we're, number one, we're first God's, we're, we're like he, he, he's taking us, and then he calls us his special treasure. And then he says, it's, it's time to take a mikvah and be clean. Uh, I think something's coming. Something is important is going to happen. Do, do, you, do you catch and sometimes if we just read that, we read this, we, we kind of miss those things. Because culturally, we don't understand. But this was very simple to them. Very simple. So let, let's move on. So move down to verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day. So here we are, three days later, right? They took the ritual mikvah. Three days later when the marriage ceremony is about to begin. And listen to what happens. And it says this, it says, in the morning, uh, it came the third day, and in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. Now you have to say, all the children of Israel are down, down on Mount Sinai, they're around the mountain, all of a sudden the third day comes, boom, huge storm. Now imagine being there in the midst of this. Big, huge, thick black clouds, lightning, thundering, fire. I think some versions talked about like fire coming down. Um, and, and, and there is something going on that's gigantic. And he keeps going, it says this. It says, uh, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people 
uh, were in the camp, that were in the camp, trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. They stood at the foot of the mountain. How many of you have ever been to a Jewish wedding? Has anybody ever been to a Jewish wedding, seen a Jewish wedding before? What do they get married under? Do you ever notice? Anytime you have a Jewish wedding, they have a certain, yeah, they have a canopy, right, yeah, they have this canopy that they get married under. It's called the hoopah, right? And, and that, that canopy uh, is really cool. So that canopy illustrates God's presence and God's, it's kind of like God is, is in the midst and he's making and, and creating and, and this, this, these two people to come together as one. So there's this kind of, you know, again, this is cultural stuff. It's, you know, it, that's just what they believed. So, uh, so, th- so there's this, this picture of all this stuff happening. This is how they would have understood it. So when that cloud came over, okay, when that cloud hovered over the top, okay, the Jews immediately would have, this is a cloud covering. This is the presence of God. This is something over us that something, again, big is about to happen. Uh, and Moses is up on the mountain, right? And they're down there doing their thing. So, so, so again, you have this huge, you have this picture where they would have said, that's, the, that's like the hoopah. That's like the hoopah. That, that whole, pi- okay, three days later after the mikvah and the hoopah, okay, this is it. This is the day. This is, this is what's happening. Like God is, is going to come and he's going to marry us at this moment. And so there's this, if we were sitting there in that crowd, we would be like, oh my gosh. And yet the children of Israel still had a hard time getting it. And so, that, so you have a groom and you have this bride. And the groom is God and the bride is the children of Israel. And they're beginning to come together. Okay. Now turn over to Exodus chapter 20. And finally, Bill, get to the Ten Commandments. All right, there's a reason why I did all that backstory to come to this point. So then he says this. In, in chapter 20, verse 1, he says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Okay? So when you study Jewish culture, it's really interesting. And not that I, you know... It is what it is. In a Jewish ceremony, before you got married, you always would have a contract. So this contract was the, the groom and the bride would sit down and they would say, okay, we're going to get married. We're going to make a list of uh, do's and don'ts. Right? So they would sit and maybe the groom was like, you know, he came from a, a family where the wife always cooked and did the, I'm, I'm just making this stuff up as I go, but let's say he, you know, where the wife always cooked and did the dishes and, you know, did all that stuff. So he would say, okay, um, if, if this marriage is going to work, then I need you to do the dishes and make sure the bed's made. Uh, and, and again, I'm simplifying things, but, but you get the idea. And so they would make these lists. Maybe the wife would say, yeah, you know what, I, I, you know, I don't want you to snore or whatever. And so she would put that. And again, these aren't the important things. But, but you get where I'm going. And so they would make a list of, of, or a contract to say, I promise this, or um, we're going to do this. And that, that contract is called the ketubah, and they, some still do it to this day. 
So there's many Jewish scholars that go back and, and, and they actually called the Ten Commandments the Ten Word Ketubah, saying that this is God coming to us and saying, now catch this, and I, and I hope you can't grab this because this is awesome. If this relationship is going to work between you and me, then these things have to be true in your life. Just like if I were to say to my wife, if this relationship is going to work, these are the things that I need from you. So that when, when, we're, when we're in the midst of, relate, we're moving, we're going forward, that, that I know these are the ground rules. These are, the, these are the, the core values that I have. And so God is giving his core values. God is saying, guys, if, if I'm moving you out of being slaves into being people, real people, right? And, and, and check this out. What, what, is he, what does he give me? He gives them a Sabbath. What's a Sabbath when you've been a slave for 400 years? Every seven days I get a day off? Are you kidding me? Wait, think about that for a minute. Like to you and I, we just read it. But think about being a slave. Why? What is he saying to that person? What is he saying to them? He's saying, your value doesn't come by what you produce. Your value becomes by your relationship with me. And so I want you to take a day off to spend that time with me so you know, you know what's most important. It's like a love relationship. That can revolutionize my relationship with God, hopefully yours. That it's not something that confines us or a book of rules to do and don't, but it's a, it's a saying, hey, if this, if this thing with God is going to work, then we got to play by what God knows is going to work. And so he looks at them and he gives them the ketubah. He gives them this contract and he... He says, hey, guys, you know what? Um, what are we going to do? How am I going to make you people again? How am I going to, and they still whined and cried, right? How, how am I going to move you from being into this mentality into this mentality? How, if you're my chosen people, and then it's going to be your responsibility to share that with the rest of the world, how are we going to do that? I'm going to have to begin to move you. So, yes, it is a rules. It is, it is a list of rules that you talked about but I think it goes much deeper than that list of rules. Because I don't have a problem when I got married to my wife saying, yeah, I don't think I'm going to date anymore. Right? It's not like I married her and like after, you know, I'm at the wedding, uh, you know, rehearse or, you know, the, the reception and, and I'm dancing with my new wife and I'm like, oh man, she's hot over there. Michelle, move out of the way. Right? What? You don't have to tell me that because I love her. You don't have to, you know, she, I'm going to mow the lawn, not because I have to, well, maybe sometimes, but because I get to. Does that make sense? And, 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 and it's relational, and God's saying, this is relational. This is relational. And so he's moving them into believing, into to becoming human again. And so what's the first commandment? He says this, simply, you shall have no other gods before me. 
So the first thing he says, why, why would he say that? Why would he say that? Well, they had been under Egyptian rule. They had gods after gods after gods that they probably had the opportunity to know or worship. And he says, I'm it. I'm it. Now, why does he say I'm it? Just the same reason that, again, since I'm married, I don't have girlfriends. Because you can't have other lovers. You can't have other lovers in your life if you're going to follow me. You can't follow me and follow something else. In our days, our gods are a little different. Maybe our money, maybe our pride, maybe even our families. And God stands alone and says, hey guys, if this relationship thing is going to work, you can't have any other lovers. I need to be the one right here on top. If I'm the one on top, everything's good. Everything's going to work. Everything's going to be smooth. But if you're trying to have other lovers, it's not going to work. And what are they doing? They're making golden calves. What are they doing? They're we do the same. It doesn't look like a golden calf, but it is a golden calf. Our careers, our houses, our cars, our hobbies. I mean, the list goes on. And so the challenge then for you and I becomes this, is how do we, how do we live, how do we live in that place of saying, God, you know what, there is no other lovers but you. You are the only one. And when we look at the Ten Commandments, is that relational bit. When we kind of, and say, it is a rule. Please don't get me wrong. God says, Do, you know what? You are not to have other gods before me. But when you understand the heart behind it, because he knows if they continue down that road, it's only going to destroy them even more. And he knows if you continue down that road, it's only going to destroy you more. So the very thing you think that you want and you think that you need is the very thing that is destroying you on the inside. And the very thing that you think you don't need, which is him, is the very thing that you need. Him and him alone. That's not easy, guys. That's not easy. We have a question? Yes. He's, she's going to come with a mic so I can hear you. You don't want to talk in the mic? My, um, my question is, as being the human behaviorist that I am, and please forgive me if I've got this wrong. So we've got these Israelites who are, who are slaves. Who have you know, been, can you hold it? I'm sorry, I can't, uh -huh. I just a little bit cold. Oh, there you go, thank All you. Right, can you hear me now? All yes. Right, we've got these Israelites who have been slaves for 430 years. I can hear myself, this is not fun. <laughs> All right, so, so, so God has taken them out. They are now free. Um, it's my understanding that they went a little crazy because they are now free. And they went, woohoo, I am now free. And they, they made all these images of these gods and went a little crazy because they could. And when we know that when you've been a bit institutionalized, and they were because they were slaves, um, you do kind of go a bit crazy when you are released. And that's what happened. So didn't God say, okay, kids, you know, this is not good where, you know, this is the law. You're not going to do this. Here are my laws because 
you've had the, you've been institutionalized and I'm going to have to put a little break on this. And I love your word using institutionalized. I think that's great. <laughs> but yeah. they were. Yes. And that is, that is, you know, and we kind of get a bit crazy and we go a little bit crazy and this is what the Israelites did. And isn't, doesn't that play a little bit? Don't we get a little bit crazy sometimes? And I, oh, just, I, would, I just wanted to add that. Yeah, I, you know, I would say absolutely and I would say you know, even if you look late, I mean, what happens? They start complaining and then they say, oh, I wish we could go back to Egypt because it was so much easier, right? And then they spent the 40 years because, you know, doing their stuff. So, um, no, I think, I, yes, absolutely. Absolutely that God is saying, hey, I'm, I am trying to move you out of this way of life into be, from being institutionalized to being free. And, and here are the ground rules or here's my expectation for your own good, right? But how he comes across in that is as a as a lover, not uh, sometimes what we would say as as someone who's you know extremely dominant. He's relational. Now he's serious and to the point. But I think sometimes you know it's this cut and dry, shallow and cold. Don't don't don't. And we miss the depth of why. Does that make sense? So. Oh, I, I totally get that. Yeah, we had another question right here. Um, did, did the people actually hear God speak? I know that they, didn't, they couldn't lay eyes on him, but did they actually hear him speak? Let's look. Um, if you look back. And I say that because they're making all these other idols and stuff. I mean, how is that working for them? <laughs> And, Dr. Phil. And then, yeah. and then they're walking through the parted Red Sea and stuff, and they're still doing this garbage. I mean, really, think about it. It's, well. I mean, people are just people. I guess we just do stupid stuff when we get away from being institutionalized, from being workaholics, so to speak, or being driven by gods that, that they worshipped um, in those days and kept going and going, but they were actually looking when they were making those gods for a way out. It seems to me like they were looking for a freedom and which way should I go, who shall I be, and yet God's speaking, and they're doing this dumb stuff. Yes, and before that, they do hear God from the cloud is talking. They hear rumblings. So, but, but here's where I would go with that as well is, how many of us hear God and we walk away the same? You know, um, this is why Jesus talks about signs and wonders that people seek. Hey, signs and wonders, that's great. But in the end, what happens is people, I mean, I've known, I've known some people who were miraculously healed by God and have chosen to step away from continuing to follow God in that sense. Why would they do that? Why? Because we're humans, and that's exactly what's happening here, is God is setting precedence, and God is saying, look, I know who you are. I'm setting the ground rules. I'm saying, if, if this relationship is going to work, these are some things that have to be true in your life. These are some things that, for us to keep and continue going on. And this is, yeah, you're right. They're battling this. They're, they're saying, hey, I want to go out and get crazy, and we don't really know what's going on, and... Um, so their response, yeah, isn't the greatest, obviously isn't the greatest response. Is our response always the greatest response when God calls? 
Have you experienced God in a powerful way and then five days later walked away from him somewhere? Absolutely. That's what, unfortunately, that's what happens. But here's the thing. That's why our God is a good God and he knows that. And he loves us. And we can always, always, which we'll get to in just a second, and, and, and I'll talk about it. So let's, let's move on. Great questions. Great questions. So, so you have this idea of, hey, you can't have other lovers. So, so to me, this raises a profound question. So, so think about this for a minute. If, why, why is heartache so central to our experience or, or, or mankind? And here's what I mean by this. Wherever you go, like you hear about heartache, right? You, we, we write songs about it. We, we have art about it. We do movies about it. We talk about it. Um, I mean, you can, get, you can get 10 women in a room. <laughs> Everybody laughed when I said that. I don't know why. But you can get 10 women in a room, let's say from even different countries, right? Different socioeconomic, you know, standards. Put them in a room and one of those women will say, one, one of them will say, hey, you know what? Um, that guy, he, he cheated on me with my neighbor. And all of a sudden, every woman in that room is, looks and goes, you know what? Yeah, and, and, and I know this guy, and I remember when I got cheated on. And somebody will say, I remember when I got, and all of a sudden you have this sisterhood, right? Of all these women coming together because they've all experienced heartache, you have a bunch of guys, you know, together watching Monday Night Football and, oh, my girlfriend left me or my wife left me. And another guy says, yeah, I remember when my wife left me or, yeah, I remember when my girlfriend. And all of a sudden they're sitting around and they're talking about the heartache that they've had in their life. There's, there's heartache everywhere. And, and there's a reason why I'm talking about this. So it, it's central to mankind that there's heartache why is that so central to mankind? Why is that so central to who we are as people? Why do we write about it? Why do we have movies about it? Why do we sing about it? Why are all those things there? And let, 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 me, let me move forward with this and I'll get to your question. Here's why, and here's, here's what I believe at the core, is this. When you have that heartache, it's a bond that connects us, but... but, but Heartache is central to mankind because heartache is central to who God is. Because God experiences heartache. Why? Because here he is as a groom crying out for his people. And, and not to say that he's this weak. I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is all of those things, but God is a relational God. And so when he looks down and he's crying out for his people, when he sends his son Jesus and they reject him, God experiences heartache and we experience heartache. The book of Hosea, the book of Hosea is about, <laughs> about a prophet Hosea. And God says, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. And when you marry that prostitute, this is what's going to happen. She's going to cheat on you. And then you need to love her some more. And then she's going to cheat on you again and get sold into slavery. And, and when, when they sell her into slavery, you're going to go buy her, even though she's your wife and she's already yours, you have to buy her out of slavery and love her, even though she's cheated on you over and over and over again. And really what he's telling Hosea is, Hosea, now you know how I feel. Now you know how I feel, that I love, I love these people, and they reject me. 
they experience heartache. They experience God at that level. Does this make sense to you? And so you have this, this picture of God. <laughs> I mean, really, Scripture, the Bible, everything we're, we're studying and we're reading is, is about God who sent his son so that he can have a relationship with us. Not just so we can have this knowledge up in our head and learn all this stuff about who God is and the evolution and all. Those are great you know, creation, I, those are great things. But at the core, what it is, is God saying, look, I created you to be my special people, which later transcends to you and I in this room. I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to I I walk with you daily because I created you and I know who you are better than anyone else. And you can't ask for anything better than that. It's, go for your question, yes then I would have to say that um, what God is seeking is that relationship that I thought everybody had was um, talking to God daily, which is, is prayer to some people. It's basically talking to God, but giving all your cares to him and, and what he shows you in your life back or does for you, praising you and thanking you because he does many things for you that you might not even deserve. That's how great his love is for That's you. That's right. And we, many of us don't have a, re when you say a relationship with Jesus Christ, they think, well, I go to church on Sunday. That isn't what we're talking about. Amen. A relationship is a one-on-one -on -one bond with somebody in which we interact with daily Sometimes nightly when you can't get to sleep and there's things on your mind, it's that relationship that you actually build with somebody that you can't see or feel, so to speak, but you know very yes. well he's very much alive and in control and loves you unconditionally. And he speaks to us through his word. Yes. And he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. You might yes. read a verse a million times and it finally hits you yeah. and you go, He's speaking to me on that. Earl, go ahead. Yeah. I, this is a wonderful background you've presented to us, uh, and uh, it's all right there. Uh, and I think I would add one other thing, and that's uh, this loving God uh, is so patient uh, because here's this creature, Satan, that he allows to, to continue in existence instead of wiping him out so there's no heartache. So we have these two natures uh, for, with Christians who are believers. We have yeah. this old nature, which is Satan, who is our father before we were uh, born-again believers. And then we become uh, a new creature in us. Uh, so we have these two creatures battling and we give in to this Satan creature even after we're Christians and we're breaking God's heart. And this God's so wonderful that he's willing to go through all this for years and years and years just because he, he loves all of us so much. Uh, it's so, amazing. It, that's so good. And, and we can't forget that there is an enemy and his whole purpose is to, right, ruin that relationship between you and God. So... That is, his core desire is to, to do that, to separate you. Um, so, um, I got a few minutes left. Um, let, me, 
So when we take this picture, it's kind of interesting because I think sometimes, and please don't take this wrong. I know I'm going to get some pushback on this. Please don't take this wrong. I, I love studying Scripture. I love digging in almost too much. I love the facts and statistics, and I love this word is 12, 13 times in here. I love the knowledge side of things. And it is. It's, the Word of God is, is powerful. And, and, but I think sometimes in, in our churches, we get so caught up in knowing that we forget to experience Him. And, and, and now you can go on the other end of experience and say, you know, you can go crazy on just ex, you know, experiencing God and not knowing the word of God, which is, you know, there's, there's a happy medium between the two. You know, when, when, when the Jews, when they read the scrolls, they understood so much. And again, I'm not saying we're, we are not Jewish in any way whatsoever. We don't want to be Jewish. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe he's the Messiah. They are wrong. But what they did have was they understood God's love. And so in a gathering like this, do you know what would happen? They would, they would open the back door, and before anybody would come up, or, or, or more they sat in circles to, to read the scrolls, uh, because they didn't have the books back then, they would, they would take the scrolls, and they would hold them, and they would come through the back door of the synagogue or wherever they were at, and they would begin to dance. And then they would encircle the scrolls, and they would kiss the Torah. They would kiss it with their lips. And, and, and why would they do that? Now, now, again, not every synagogue would do this, but it was you know, pretty much typical. Now, why would, why would they dance around the scrolls and they would celebrate and they would say, I kiss Torah, I kiss Torah? Because they believed at the core that this was a love message. That it was God communicating to his people. Now, now, now let's get this. If, if you really believed that God was really communicating to us through this, wouldn't we treat it differently than we do? Would it sit up on the shelf and collect dust till Sunday or Tuesday? I mean, if you really believe that the God of the universe is inhabiting scripture, like the word says, in the beginning was the word, the word was just God, the word was God. If, if we believe that, why, why don't we come through the back doors celebrating when we open the word? I'm challenged with that. Why don't I get up every morning and say, God, what do you have for me today? I cannot wait to read what you've got waiting for me. But you know what I do? Sometimes I wait, ah, oh, man, I'm, I'm running late. I'll get my five minutes in. And I make it a knowledge thing. And I think we miss it. And I think at the core we miss it. Because so many of us see God maybe as this ogre in heaven who has these rules and regulations, who has these ten commandments and these do's and don'ts, and he sits up there with his giant white beard and looks down with lightning, and you know, anytime we do something wrong, especially if you come from a Catholic background, you gotta go and go into confession constantly back and forth, and you gotta say your Hail Marys, you gotta get up and do, oh my gosh, I live like hell this week, so I gotta go live like heaven on the weekend, and, and you're back and forth, and you, you're missing, you're missing the relationship. 
I'm challenging you to step out of that and say, God, what do you, and what does that look like? It's going to look different for every single person in this room. But you got to love this, right? You and I have to love this. You and I have to obey this, not because we have to, but because we get to, right? You being married, you don't go, oh man, I, I, you know what, man, I just, I got to stay single. I mean, I got to stay married. I'm just so bummed. No, hopefully you're saying, man, I get to stay married because I married the, the, the woman that I love or I married the man that I love. It, it, that's how we see God and we go, man, what do we get? What? God, thank you for this. Why? Because at the core, what he's sharing with us is, hey, if, if this relationship is going to work, then, then we got to live by this. So what aren't you living by? What is it you're not living by? This week, I want to challenge you. Pick up the word if you haven't. Man, if it's early in the morning, if you got to get up, if you have to get up 30 minutes before the family because everything's crazy, then get up 30 minutes before the family. Why? Not because you have to, because you get to. And maybe at first it might be a difficult, it's discipline, but here's what happens. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, once that becomes a habit, it will be one of those habits you can never get rid of and probably the best habit you'll ever have. Now, some of you do that. Maybe you can't do it in the morning. Maybe do it at night. Don't do this. Don't, don't, don't. I'm going to do it 10 o'clock at night laying in bed because I've heard that before. And you know what happens? Most people go, oh, man, I love the Bible. This is great. That's so comfortable. You're missing out. It's not because we have to, it's because we get to. And, and, and think, think of it. Think of, think of those Israelites. Think of how they would have loved Scripture. Think of how they would have kissed Torah. Think of those things. And this week, do that. So over the next nine weeks, we're going to be talking through each of those Ten Commandments. Taking a different viewpoint on those. Some, you know, I'll be teaching on some of them. I know we got some other guys teaching on some. But I think you're going to be very challenged. And I, I hope that you come back. I hope you invite your friends and say, you know what? Man, there's something awesome going on at the mine. We're going to, we're going to learn some incredible things. Practical things. Where you can go and say, you know what? This is going to make my relationship with God that much richer if I implement these things in my life. If I live out these Ten Commandments, again, not because I have to, but you don't want to have other lovers. He only wants him, but because I get to. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for this incredible group of people who are here to experience your word, learn your word, and live your word. And I want to pray right now that uh, over this next week um, that we would all be challenged um, if we're not in the word on a daily basis that uh, we would start this week, that, uh, that tonight even, if we haven't been in the Word on our own, personal between you and us, that, they got, that, that somebody would do that in this room because they need to. Uh, I want to pray tomorrow morning, those that need to get up early, would, that you would wake them up, Lord, that that would be the most incredible time in their life. Lord, thank you. Because I read these stories from thousands of years ago and I go, you are the same God and that you still love us. And God, that, that even in the midst of the world that we live in, you still love us. And even though we're sinners, that you still love us. And that your story still rings true today, that you are crying out for people to come to you. And you still love us. 
Help us to respond to that love. Help us to understand that relationship. I ask for your Holy Spirit to do that this week. In your name, amen. Amen. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, Have a good night.